1: Welcome back to another edition of the NFL Report. This Thursday is Slammed Steve Weich. We have Roddy McLeod of the number one, maybe best defense in football, the Cleveland Browns, their safety. We also have Kurt Warner joining us in a few minutes to talk about the red zone issues across the NFL. Also, we have issues with quarterbacks, star quarterbacks with new play callers and Baldy's favorite film. Steve, are you ready? This is massive today.
2: It's so great because, you know, we are really taking a deep dive on stuff. We got the smart people like Kurt and Baldy and us. us here. and but yeah. Rodney McLeod, I'm so looking forward to this because he played for Jim Schwartz in Philly. He's playing for him now in Cleveland. He's playing well. This defense is playing well. I really want to get to the science of that. But, but James, before we kind of dig into this, you and your wife, Meg, last night you are telling us that mm-hmm. you went to go see Tina, the Tina Turner musical. Oh, yeah. They're in Denver. you, you got to shine a little light on that, man. Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean,
1: keeping my wife, I mean, she's only five, three, but keeping her in one spot during (laughs) Tina, the musical, I mean, impossible. I mean, the place was rocking. She even comes out. She sounded just like Tina Turner. She comes out after everybody, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, everybody comes out in the cast, takes their bow and then she plays multiple songs as Tina Turner after
2: the musical was over. It was incredible. It was great. That's absolutely, that's absolutely spectacular that you got to enjoy like that. Look, I'm old enough to remember yeah. when, you know, Tina was with Ike and we're rolling down the river and things like that. But here's yeah. a dope little nugget just to cap off this light conversation in okay. my neighborhood here in Los Angeles where Tina and Ike lived. Their house is about 12 no. houses from ours. Now, somebody came in here a couple years ago and they actually Don't put bet. a fence they put a couple of fences, I put a fence around it so you couldn't see it anymore. So that kind of sucks, but we can claim the fame of that house is in our neighborhood. But, J.P., one of Tina Turner's biggest songs was What's Love Got to Do With It, which leads us to our first yeah, love it. conversation they here. played it last night. Yes, one of our, mm-hmm. our, uh, leads us to this. So Tyreek Hill, he's putting up MVP-type numbers, right? Not quarterback, but he is absolutely that guy. But What's Love Got to Do With It is what he said, because I was getting down in Kansas City a couple years ago, but now I'm here in Miami putting up, baller, baller baller-type numbers. Did Tyreek Hill, when you look at the individual accomplishments he's having, did he actually make a good choice leaving Kansas City for Miami?
1: I think he did. I really do. I think he left Patrick Mahomes and a Hall of Fame coach in Andy Reid, and he made a very smart and good decision, Steve. Now, everybody in Kansas City is probably thinking, I'm completely nuts, why would you leave those two? Well, I look at it from this angle. He was never going to be the highest paid receiver in NFL history if he stayed in Kansas City. He had a chance to do that. So financially, he made out like a bandit with, I believe, $72 million in this. He has a home, family in Miami. It's a great place he wants to be. But I think this is the part why I think it was a smart decision because he didn't just leave those two, Steve. He went to a situation that I think was maybe the only one better than the one he was in, and that's playing for Mike McDaniel. Maybe one of the very few coaches, maybe the only coach when I talk to people around the league that has found a way to be more creative with Tyree Kill than Andy Reid was. They've used him in so many different ways. He's flourishing in this offense. And the last part about it, and we can talk about this a little bit further, but the last part of my opening statement, Steve, this sounds like kind of like a law, like, a, like, a, like we're in a courtroom in a sense, is he has turned the Miami Dolphins into a Super Bowl contender with his arrival. And with his arrival, Tua tunga has been an MVP front
2: runner, maybe each of the last two years. That's okay. impressive. So, I'm, so now I'm going to come in for my cross of, of the witness. Yes. Yes, Tyreek Hill got paid. Yes, he, he's going to a beautiful place. Kansas City's a beautiful place. But last I checked, the Chiefs won a Super Bowl without him. Right, last I checked. They did? You know, they're, they're still doing great things. They're still the team that is the most feared in the AFC. Now, I will give Tyreek his props individually. And personally, I think, Robert, he did go to a good situation because of Mike McDaniel, because of what they're doing mm-hmm. offensively. He's the featured guy among five featured guys in that offense. They are newfangled, which is what we were saying about the Chiefs when Patrick Mahomes first took over. Was, was he going the featured guy there. in Kansas City? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's Travis Kelsey. Is he going to be the featured guy? It's Travis Kelsey. He was exactly. more the gadget guy in Kansas City, the running back, the deep threat, the off-schedule guy. But there was nothing wrong with that. Right. We, we do know people have, you know, wide receivers especially. We heard Devontae Adams came out yesterday, give me the ball. He's <laughs> getting the ball. And, and, and he's doing things that are absolutely incredible. But that said, to leave Patrick Mahomes and potential Super Bowls, I know Miami's a Super Bowl contender, no denying that, I just think this is an interesting discussion, JP, because both sides have actually won, even though I think the Chiefs right now would love to have him back because their wide receivers, look at the number, four touchdowns on the season. All their wide receivers combined, Tyreek's got six. Yeah, unbelievable. This is a win-win. And that's kind of the interesting part about this. Everybody
1: was curious. I think the Chiefs thought, okay, maybe Tyreek Hill's getting older. He's going to lose a step. Maybe he'll have one successful year in Miami and then maybe he'll start slowing down. He's not slowing down. No. He's on pace for what? 2,306 receiving yards. That's what he's on pace for right now. He has more yards in the modern era through six games than anyone ever. And I do believe... The part that makes this a win-win for everybody is Tyreek is not just getting individual stats. This is the best offense in football that he has joined, and he's a big reason why it is. In Miami, they are also having, like Kansas City is, team success. What I would put as the cherry on top of all this, Steve, is if he wins a Super Bowl in Miami, That means he won a Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. He wins a Super Bowl in Miami. I think that is a feather in his cap, and you know a lot about the Hall of Fame and his chances in getting into the Hall of Fame if he went to Miami and brings them a Super Bowl. They went to the postseason last year for the first time since 2016 in his first year in that system. And remember, he put up more yards last year in Miami than he did any other year in Kansas City. Over 1,700 yards, he also played... With Skylar Thompson? Yes. And Ted Richards. 2 it didn't even play the entire season. That is impressive. Now, you see, Steve and I are both wearing purple today, right, Steve? Uh, we are wearing purple today in honor of Spirit Day, something yep. that we are both definitely behind. And Spirit Day essentially is what we do today around the world and in the NFL. We celebrate this Spirit Day. This day is for taking the pledge against bullying while supporting LGBTQ youth. Who are victims of discrimination. As rhetoric and violence against the LGBTQ community escalates, we want to focus on allyship. Steve and I, both allies, in the NFL, as football is for everyone. We are-
0: I try to be a super vocal ally for the LGBTQ community because it's a really active role to be vocally in support of people who are marginalized.
1: Human beings
3: in general deserve to
1: be
4: loved no matter what their orientation is or what they align with. It's important for someone on my platform to be an ally because people look up to someone like myself and to be able to vocalize and let people know that it's okay to be who you are. Their rights, their existence, and their lives matter to us, and they should matter to everybody. This year,
2: on Spirit Day,
4: we call on fans everywhere to
2: show their support
4: for the LGBTQ plus youth. Because it's never been more important to stand up. Lead by example. Be an ally. Just like football's for everyone, respect is for everyone too.
5: No matter where you come from
4: or who you are. Now
1: more than ever, let's support each other like we support our teams. It's time to stand up and show our
3: spirit together. Together.
1: Ah, just awesome! I've had a lot of conversations about that topic with DeAndre DeAndre Hopkins over the years. Now, when we move on, Kurt Warner, the Hall of Famer. Joining the show, three big-name quarterbacks, Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Longs. They kind of have some new play callers in their uh, midst that they're familiar with, but there's still some struggles. Kurt Warner answers why next. You go
0: into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses.
3: Looks left, throws left, it's intercepted, picked off, running right Tony Adams, he's inside the 25, breaks a tackle, down to the 10-yard line, unbelievable! Handoff Hall up the middle. They're gonna let him score. It's the Jets 20 and the Eagles 14 The Jets can go to victory formation if they can get a stop on down. Here we go. Well protected looks left Heaves a bomb down the middle of the field It is broken up by Jordan Whitehead! The Jets are gonna win it! What a day for the Jet defense!
2: All right, we're back at the NFL Report. James, we are now joined by Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner, MVP, Super Bowl champion. And, and, and Kurt, you know, we wanted to bring you on because we're seeing – we just heard video and saw a video of Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott and even Patrick Mahomes, right? Guys who offensively have played well, but they've got new play callers this year, guys who were on their staffs. That's the caveat. But things have not been mm-hmm. silky smooth with the transition. And just your overall thoughts, I mean, I, I'm sure we're going we're gonna to get specific here, but just your overall thoughts of a new play caller, even if that person has been on the staff for a while.
5: Fellas, it's easy to go, well, yeah, he's been on the staff. We're running the same plays. We're calling them the same way. So we should have the same amount of success. Mm-hmm. There is a true art to calling plays and being able to understand how to put things together. Put players in perfect situations. Figure out what a rhythm looks like. Build things early in a game so it complements what you want to do late in the game. It's not as simple as, hey, I'm going to take the same play sheet that the coach had last year, and I'm just going to go down and go, I'm going to call play 23. There is such a rhythm to being a play caller, and you know, I've been around a lot of guys. Some guys are really, really good at it, some guys aren't as good at it. And so um, and and there is a time element too to, to getting comfortable and a, and a quarterback getting comfortable with that rhythm in which a play caller wants to play the game. And so uh, I, I completely understand um, why people think it should be easy, but why it isn't easy and why it is difficult and why the fact that just because you've been around the building or you've been around a certain player or an offense, that you can just step in and call plays. I mean, I've been around football a lot, and was an offensive coordinator qu- coordinator at the high school level. And I tell you what, it, it is mm-hmm. tough, and maybe more than anything, it's tough in situational football. You know, I was just talking to Ken Dorsey, who had taken over as the play caller the last couple of years in Buffalo, and asked oh. him, you know, what is he working on every year? And he says the biggest thing for me is situational football, always being prepared for something that maybe you haven't. Experience in the past, or you've never experienced as a play caller. And so constantly working on that, even watching other teams play and go, man, what would I do in this situation because I've never experienced it. So that is something that's really, really tough for play callers.
1: The one I want to jump in with, Kurt, you mentioned, even if you know somebody really, really well, how many times on NFL Network have all of us said, Brian Johnson has known Jalen Hurd since he was four. So this is going to just work perfectly fine. And I got ripped to shreds in Philadelphia for saying this might be difficult because I've had some coaches around the league that have studied the Eagles tell me, Shane Steichen, it's not a complicated system, but man, does he call a really good game as a play caller? I want to kind of talk about that situation a little bit when that's a a new play caller that knows his quarterback inside and out as a player and a person, but there's still growth that has to happen.
5: Always growth that has to happen. And, you know, again, knowing a player. And uh, the other thing that we have to realize, too, is sometimes the mindset of a play caller. So, again, I go back to my experience, you know, being a play caller. What did I always gravitate to? I always gravitated to throwing the football because as a quarterback, I wanted to throw the football. And so being able to understand Mm -hmm. and get into the mind of these play callers and go, okay, what is your background? What is your philosophy? So to think, you know, from play caller to play caller, that the philosophy is exactly the same because they're stepping into the same situation, completely different. And so you mentioned Shane Striking, who who was in – uh, you know, in Indy now, he's got a quarterback that plays very similarly uh, to what Jalen Hurts did, so that mindset could stay very similar to how he tried to build things early on with their young quarterback.
2: So, Kurt, let's look at it this way, too. So we know Matt Nagy is the OC in Kansas City. Andy Reid remains the play caller, but Nagy was brought in to help install the plays during the week, to run the meetings, to be a different voice. He was on the staff, went to Chicago, came back under Eric Bieniemy. And then he also handles some of the deep passing game stuff, something that has not worked with the chiefs. There is there is a difference when there's a different voice doing the install and things like that as opposed to the actual play caller? Could that be somewhat disruptive? I think anytime you have
5: different voices, uh, it can be disruptive. you know, that you're used to something, you're used to being taught something, you're used to to running things a certain way. Anytime you get a little bit of a change, it can be disruptive. In Kansas City, to me, it's as much about the guys they're trying to break in on the outside and the comfort level for a quarterback when you're mixing and matching pieces. Even though the plays, again, may be exactly the same, having certain guys that you've run it with before, that you understand how they're going to do it, makes a huge difference than just saying, hey, it's the same play we called last year. How come it's not working the same way? the feel of different players, the way they run it, the speed by which they run it, all of those different elements are things I think we take for granted when we say, hey, we got Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid still calling plays. (laughs) There's a lot of moving parts that go into it. Well, we're looking at at these guys that have
1: familiarities, Kurt, and and there's a lot of familiarity between Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy, Um, but there's been some I don't want to say struggles, but there's been some curious maybe moments within the the Cowboys and how they operate, specifically the red zone, uh, which we've seen a drastic change from a season ago. Um, Is is there something in terms of philosophies in specific situations, you brought up situations, but something like red zone just has a different philosophy with a different play
5: Uh, caller? Yeah, I think it does have a different philosophy. Even as a quarterback, I always thought about the red zone differently. You know, things get tighter, windows get tighter, and I think sometimes when, um, you know, when you're a play caller, you think you can go down there and design the perfect play every time to get somebody wide open, and it doesn't play out like that. A lot of times it's, hey, it's tight coverage, it's tight windows. You have to just be very, very efficient when you get down there. I think something else that I see a lot of times in red zone now is uh, the number of touchdown passes have gone up, um, you know, incrementally over the last few years. You see a lot more teams that get down tight into the red zone and they want to throw the football more than they want to run the football. Right. Another philosophy thing, like, hey, yep. when I was playing, man, we get down inside the five-yard line, we are running it on first and second down, and then if we have to, yep. we're going to throw it. Another thing that we can take into consideration is that teams are playing more spread football throughout the course of the game. Their tight ends are more pass catchers than they are blockers. And so you get down into the tight red zone, and now all of a sudden we want to become a power run team or – you know, we we want to play a little bit differently than we play the rest of the field. And so I, I think there's all kinds of different elements that have changed over the last decade or so because of how the, the, the game has changed and the rules have changed and the way that it's played is so much different than it used to be. Kurt, what
1: I'm curious about, and I, I talked to Sean Payton about this this week, you know, we are at the lowest, you know, in terms of percentage success rate down in the red zone that we've seen across the board since 2011. I mean, it's like 53%. And he said, definitely, it is something he is aware of. It's they're talking about it as a staff. They know that's the issue across the league. And the first thing he brought up was, everybody's just got to run it better. And when I talked to a number of people over the last 48 hours about this topic we were going to discuss with you, every one of them brought up, teams just abandon the run, it happens once, and then they're done with it. Why, though? And the one thing that was repeated to me, and I'm curious of what your take is, teams are almost getting too cute with it down in the red zone. Why are they abandoning the run?
5: Well, I mean, again, I think it's the nature by which a lot of teams play anyways. You know, a lot of teams play pass first instead of run first. And so you get down there and you don't have success early running the football, and you're like, ah, let's just let's get back to what we do or they're, or they're built around their quarterback. Mm-hmm. you know So it's like, hey, this guy will make a play for us. so let's keep the ball in his hands instead of taking it out of his hands, handing it off and getting nothing. but but, but I agree with you. it it, it becomes too cute sometimes. And then, you know, you look at it. When you Mm -hmm. get tight into the red zone, there's not a whole bunch of plays in your playbook that you can run when you've got 12 yards of space, you know, two yards, and then you've got the 10 yards of the end zone. So a lot of times success down there also comes off a play action. So where do you get your play action, Sell is when teams actually think you're going to run the football and you're going to come downhill at Mm -hmm. them. Now it's a token fake, and you're getting a guy simple into the flat or a guy into the corner, you know. When I was playing, and you still see it today, maybe the most basic concept down from the one- or two-yard line is a play fake, you slip your fullback into the flat and you put your tight end into the corner because everybody's selling out on the run. It's the simplest of concepts, but it has always been one of the most successful uh, plays down in the red zone. But it all starts with the defense believing you're going to hand the football off. If they don't believe that, now they're just dropping eight guys into a limited amount of space because when I watched the film, guys, I'm not sitting here going, oh, man, defenses are doing all these crazy things down in the red zone now so teams can't score. It's the same stuff that they've always done, just offenses aren't as efficient and, as you guys said, aren't running the football nearly as well, which makes offensive football easier when, you know, when the confines of the end zone are are right there.
2: Yeah, you see that. Some teams are playing the big dime or the big nickel, you know, the three or four safety concepts there because they're not afraid of the run, but they do have bigger DBs in there. Kirk, something we talked about yesterday when we were discussing this. The fade route, right? It just seems to like, okay, We people say, okay, if you get down to three or four, you've got the third receiver, let's throw the fade. It's there. Usually he's matched up one-on-one. We are not seeing that really attempted much anymore in the NFL. When teams get inside the tight red zone, which is a 10-yard in, we're not really seeing that as much. What, what do you think about the fade route overall and maybe that adding to potential touchdown success? Yeah. I mean, I'm never a fan of the fade route in general,
5: no matter where you're at on the field, especially if you're seeing press coverage, because it's kind of all or nothing. Now, I will say, if you have that guy, like I had Larry Fitzgerald, we threw a lot more fades with Larry Mm -hmm. Fitzgerald than we did with anybody else that I played with. So if you have that guy, great. We can pack it in. We can get into a run set where we put, you know, 10 guys inside the box where I get one-on-one on the outside and I believe that guy can win every single time. Yes, it makes football easier. One-on-one, my guy better than your guy. But how many of those guys are out there? Not that they're not good players, but good at being able to play the football in the air, the back shoulder, the high point, being able Mm -hmm. to go up and, and steal it from a defensive back. It's not as simple as, hey, I got a really good wide receiver. Do I have a really good wide receiver that tracks the football really, really well and can make a contested catch more times than not? Because otherwise, it's just you're throwing up, you're taking a chance, there's contact over there. If that guy can't make that catch most of the time, to me, a lot of times it becomes a wasted play, even down tight in the red zone.
1: Real quick, this is the last one I have for you, Kirk, because I wanted to squeeze this one in. Talking to a couple of scouts with teams, this came up with you know, a couple different guys with different teams, so this, this kind of was fascinating to me. It was vertical routes. So much of teams' playbooks are full of vertical routes that they just cannot use when they get down there in that red zone portion, and a lot of that success is with the opposite of what you just said. Smaller, speedier receivers that they create these spaces in a larger part of the field. Are you seeing that there might be with today's concepts and all those vertical routes, a smaller section of your playbook that you can use or a part you lose or you
5: lose more now than you used to of your playbook down the red zone? Yeah, I mean, you definitely lose, you know, you definitely have specific plays down for the red zone. But uh, James, one of my biggest pet peeves is when I see quarterback, court, you know, coordinators call the all-go route from the 10-yard line. Because it's like, man, there's bodies everywhere. It's tough. You're just taking a chance. Mm-hmm. I always took the philosophy when I got to the red zone that instead of trying to throw it over them or trying to throw it into the end zone, I tried to complete balls that were safe balls, complete balls that were at the 5-yard line, and force the defense to tackle instead of trying to throw it over the right. top of them and make the perfect throw. Yep. And so... Just the mentality by which you play down there, for me, changed. Get completions. Force them to have to do something defensively instead of me having to make the perfect throw up over the top, you know, before my guy ran out of bounds or or into those tight windows. I just think the philosophy has to change sometimes, and the best teams are the ones that complete passes and put the pressure back on the
2: defense. Hey, Kurt, we can't thank you enough for, like, shedding some insight because we're getting – Kurt makes it sound easy. Yeah, the, yeah, right. These, these red zone numbers now are, are almost historically low, like almost 50% touchdown conversions. So thanks for shedding a little bit of light on that, Kurt. Also, Kurt, as you get out of here, Jimmy Garoppolo not playing Sunday against the Bears. He has been ruled out. When we come back, we're going to get an inside take from Brown safety Rodney McLeod on defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz and the method to the mashness
0: And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.
1: The lead. Snap is down. The kick is up. The kick is...
3: No good! It's no good! And the Browns will beat the 49ers 19-17! to
1: He pushed it wide to the right!
2: That was Andrew Ciliano of NFL Network on the radio call for the Cleveland Browns as they knock off the San Francisco 49ers handing their first loss. And we are now joined by Brown Safety, Rodney McLeod. And Rodney, Go. first off, first off, Rodney, I got you see Dave Palmer wearing the, the Eagles jersey. We don't want any offense because he is on yeah. an opposing team, but your thoughts on him wearing the Kelly Green.
4: Yeah. You I gotta lead with I, the Eagles, right? Everybody everybody knows uh I'll forever bleed green, won a Super Bowl there, got a lot of respect. There we go. My my Philly uh <laughs> brothers over there, and, and Jalen's a good friend of mine. So much respect, much respect, man. Okay, You would have liked to wear the Kelly Green at some point though. They're
1: pretty sharp. I mean
4: I was I shot. was I, I was uh one of the guys who were trying to persuade Lori to get that going. Uh, I, I guess I guess we didn't yes. we didn't have guys to do so, but. <laughs>
2: all right. Rodney. Okay. Okay. All right. We're gonna pivot because you're wearing the orange, you're wearing the brown, and by the way, the all white unis with the white helmets are the sweetest ones. Mm. Um, that you guys Agreed. have. I mean, I mean, hopefully you really like that. But, Ryan, let's talk about that win because, once again, your defense absolutely dominated. You dominated a team that had averaged more than thirty points a game. What did you do in that game to just absolutely shut them down and constantly harass quarterback Brock Purdy?
4: It really came down to heart, I would say, Uh, just our our willingness to never quit, uh, to not back down. And we understood the challenge that we were up against, uh, knowing that they had, you know, number one offense coming into uh, Sunday's game. Uh, they had a stout defense, and and we uh, felt strongly about our defense as well. Uh, you know, we talked about it all week, how, you know, it would take everything that we had. You know, it's a fight, scratch, crawl type of game. And that's that's what it was uh, from start to finish. Uh, you know, if you turned away from, you know, your TV screens, you were bound to miss something. But it's a very physical game. You know, I'm proud of our guys for fighting, playing complimentary football, um, and, and just, uh, you know, really – uh, defending our home turf, you know, so to its fullest. Uh, you know, there was a lot going on prior to that game, but <laughs> glad that we, we took care of business yeah. uh, in the white lines.
1: I was going to ask that, Roddy, but you went right to it, what happened pregame. What I'm curious about, you've been in this league for a long time, when something like that happens pregame, and I know all of you guys have kind of talked about it since, postgame, yesterday, on Monday, you guys all kind of talked about it, you took some offense to it. But I'm curious what happens on the sideline after something like that. Do you use it? To start the game? Do you channel it or do you have to like block it out and regroup? What's kind of the mentality after something like that pregame?
4: Yeah. The emotions on both sides were very high. I, I think everybody understood what they were getting themselves involved uh, with on that Sunday game. Both teams are very physical. Um, and and you know, we were obviously, you know, desperate uh for a win. Uh, and San Fran was trying to continue on with their streak, but I think when you have something like that take place before the game, you know, you really have to uh, kind of regroup um, and and breathe okay. uh, and ensure that going into that game now, you, you know, it's more of a controlled aggression uh, as, as you go into it because, like I said, emotions are already high um, and you don't want mm-hmm. that to affect, uh, you know, your level of play and, and allow that to disturb you, lose focus in any way. Um, or do things that are just uncharacteristic uh, to be able to hurt your team.
2: Uh, Rodney, I, I, I've always wondered this, and I don't know why I've never asked anybody this. Your quarterback is down here. You know, P.J. Walker's playing. It's your third quarterback you played with this season. Do you, as a defense, have to say anything to one another or as a group or whatever, say we've got to step up and make up for what could be lacking on offense, or is it something that's just kind of inherently part of your guy's DNA?
4: It's about our DNA. Uh, every time we leave our last slide that we uh leave any meeting on is set the pace uh we talk about you know really setting the pace for the team uh setting the pace for the game uh whatever it is uh we feel like defensively it's our duty it's our obligation uh to to ensure that we do everything at the highest standard um and and so uh there 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 there's never really anything um, that's uh, surprising to us, I guess, uh, you know, we're up for every challenge that, uh, you know, we're faced against.
1: All right, Roddy, you know your defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz, better than anybody else in that locker room. You spent a bunch of years with him in Philly. Before I ask this question, answer this one first. In one word, describe Jim Schwartz. Real.
4: Uh, okay, okay, I like it. Bye. I- He's the realest. He's the realest, man. You're going to get uh, Jim Schwartz a thousand percent of the time. And people ask me to this day, is he still the same? Like, yeah, nothing's changed about him. (laughs) He's a confident. He's a confident (laughs) man. He he wears a swagger on his sleeve. He's passionate. He's fiery. He's going to uh, challenge you. Uh, He's going to tell you the honest and brutal truth. Uh, But he's going to also love you up, and he's a very compassionate coach that cares deeply about uh, his guys. With that said, the X's and O's side of it,
1: Rodney. Like I remember talking during training camp with you knowing kind of the personnel you had and what can happen with this group and what Jim can dial up. But are there maybe places this defense hasn't gone yet that you know it can because you know this scheme so well and you haven't even gotten there yet because it's new?
4: Yes, uh, I think that the the thing that I think we're searching for is more turnovers, right? That's something that uh, hasn't necessarily uh, been as consistent as as probably we would like to see on a week-to-week basis. So, uh, you know, our emphasis there and and how we can continue to give our offense more possessions. Um, And, you know, I think they'll naturally come. You know, we say it takes one uh, to get things going. So I'm hoping that, you know, we can continue on with this streak. Uh, you know, MJ, uh, Emerson made a, a huge interception for us last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, came at a, a great point in the game where we needed it and hoping that we could have more uh, of those opportunities coming up this year.
2: Rodney, you talked about your affinity for, you know, always bleeding green in Philly, but last year you played with the Colts. Had a career, career on in tackles, I think, last year. Yeah. Uh, it was just absolutely insane in your 11th season. You play them again this weekend, um, and you know – what type of, of, of scrappy team they are. You know some of the guys there. What do you think the challenge is after coming off, off of such a, an emotionally high-stakes game like you just played?
4: Mm. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's really for us not uh, hearing any of the noise outside of the building. Uh, again, you know, we're going to receive a lot of praise over the course of this week, uh, you know, how we beat, you know, the the Invincibles uh, 49ers. Uh, and so you can start to to feel yourself uh, when you have some success, um, and and I talk about it all the time you have to you have to treat both imposters the same success and failure. Um, so for us, it, it's having that mindset of never being satisfied going in and, and understanding like we want to be able to establish a winning culture and, and establishing a winning culture. Uh, you have to be able to put winning streaks together, and you have to be able to not only win at home but you have to win on the road. Um, so for us, the challenge is going on a road versus a a good Indianapolis team, you know, who's coming off a tough loss, but uh, they've beaten uh, some very respectable opponents, and and Shane Sykin has that team playing very well. So I'm expecting their best, um, and 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 it's going to require our utmost uh, best and and focus. Ronnie, I'm curious about this. Through f- through five games, you guys have given up the fewest
1: number of total yards since 1971. Let's see, you're on pace right now to be the best third down team. We've seen since that started really getting tracked since 1991. So, if you're an offensive coordinator, put that cap on. You got a nice cap on now, but put a different cap on as an offensive coordinator and go. When I look at this defense and I'm preparing for it, what am I most concerned about? Everywhere.
4: <laughs> <laughs> my, my, I mean, I see. I mean, honestly, I, I see. I see no flaw, but. You know, you got you have to give respect to this defensive line. Um, they're a talented bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wreck. You know, obviously Miles Garrett gets a lot of the attention uh, as he deserves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, you look across that D line room, and everybody from Z to O to you know, big Big Dalvin in the middle, yep. Jordan. Uh, you know, the the list goes on. Shelby, like, there's there's a multitude of guys who are now stepping in um, and, and now are also commanding uh, the respect from the offensive line. So, you know, if you're an offensive yeah. line coach, like, I don't know what you do. I don't know who you turn to, who you send the line to. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and that's – and that's we never know yeah. until the game happens. Uh, so, much credit to those guys for making our job that much easier in the back end.
2: I love you seeing that because our Brian Baldinger, you know, he does all those these breakdowns, just did a great one of your D-line, completely resetting the line of scrimmage over and over. That's a difficult thing against that offense. Okay, the last it, The last question before we let you get out of here, I know you guys are doing all the Philly love, but I know you're a D.C. area guy from the DMV. This weekend is Howard University's homecoming, my alma mater. Roddy, please tell me, you went to UVA, so I know you were striking it? Have you ever been to a Howard homecoming?
4: I've never been. Come on, and, man! No, I know. I'm, oh. I'm waiting till I, I'm waiting till I hang it up uh, to attend one. Uh, I know a lot of people, obviously, who, who've attended Howard uh, or just go for the festivities. And when I was growing up as a kid, that's all you heard on the radio is H-U, how, uh, you know, homecoming, Howard homecoming. This this party's happening. That party's happening. This celebrity's in town. So I, I know how y'all get down. I love it. Uh, you know how y'all. Uh, you know, bring more exposure to the city, um, and it's a great place to be. You know, Chocolate City, man.
1: I love it. I, so you're going to go when you retire, Rodney. So you're near twelve now. So what? In another five, six years,
4: I guess we're going <laughs> to right. have you at your first Howard <laughs> homecoming, right? Yeah, that's what they. That's what they're saying. But I don't know the clock says differently. <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> well clock also says we gotta let you run man so Roddy appreciate it man we always love chatting with you whether it's you know a camp or you know when I, we both get into Berea or, or Cleveland man it's great to see you hopefully we can get a Browns game in and, and see you in person soon appreciate you uh, joining the show man man
2: I appreciate it thank you guys thanks Roddy Ryan McLeod was a good stuff there on that Browns defense. Hey, JP, you know, he's also trained to become a broadcaster. When we're back, it's Brian Baldinger. He's coming to break it down. And what are the Dolphins doing that's absolutely so unique? Back on the NFL report.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better.
1: Back now on yeah, the yeah, NFL yeah. Report, James Palmer, Steve White it's Baldy's Favorite Films. It's my favorite segment every yeah. week, Baldy. I get my popcorn every week. It's my cheat day, yeah. essentially. I love that I you always Jane. stay and watch, right? You always watch our interviews, yeah. which I love. What stood out to you yeah, well, about I that mean, conversation you, you, with Roddy McLeod?
3: Well, I've known Rodney, you know, since he came here, you know, he was, you know, like myself, you know, he was a free agent to this business, and here he is in, you know, whatever it is, year 11 or 12, um, you know, it's hard to find safeties. If they're hard to draft, you have to almost prove yourself and then go in free agency before you can prove that you can stay healthy, cover the field, you know, uh, not break down the back end. The one thing everywhere Rodney goes, and he, he teamed with Malcolm Jenkins in Philadelphia, and now he's with the good group with Grant Pitt and guys in Cleveland, is you always know if a secondary is good by how many explosive plays you surrender. Because the plays happen mm-hmm. for two reasons, James. Either you miss tackles at that position and guys yep. go a long way or you blow coverages. And when you have Rodney McLeod on the back end of your defense, neither one of those things happen. So I see defenses mm-hmm. give up these explosive plays all the time. First thing you look to is the safeties. Like where are they? What tackle did they miss? Did they close their eyes to make the tackle? Yeah. Did they blow are they doubling, you know, the post when they should have been going to the number two? Like, you know, you just look for the breakdowns. Mm-hmm. And you just don't see that. You didn't see that in Philadelphia and you're not watching it in Cleveland right now. And, you know, he talked about Jim Schwartz and playing for Schwartz and yeah, Jimmy's got a big swag, Mm -hmm. no doubt. But the one thing (laughs) that Cleveland's always had talent, but man, they would beat themselves over and over and over again. And you just don't see that right now. And that's communication. That's coaching. That's guys talking out there on the field. So it's, it's pleasant to see.
2: And Baldy, you know, one element of that defense, because I love the fact you brought up communication. We saw last year just all the blown stuff on the back end that caused some yeah. games. But on the second level, I don't think we are talking enough about JOK. Anthony Walker is a beast. And then Omo Oronquo what he did coming over yeah. from Houston and the, and the pressure he gives right next to to Z- Darius Z- Z- Smith off that edge, Yeah, I think their
3: linebacking crew is way underrated. I told Jimmy Haslam when they signed Okoronko this summer, I said, watch out now. Because the last eight games in Houston last year, he took off. And now he's with, he doesn't have to be the lead dog. He's got Zedares, He's got Miles. He's got Dalvin. He just has to fit in. And so that's their, you know, and Jordan Elliott and the other guys up front. But you mentioned the linebackers. So that's, last week, that's the best game I've seen Jeremiah Awuso koromoa play. J-O-K. It's the best game I saw him play. But part of it was, Schwartzy, like, they pressed the line of scrimmage. They forced the action. You know, McCaffrey wasn't getting these big lanes to run through. You know, and when they went to Jordan Mason after McCaffrey got hurt, you didn't see these big lanes. They couldn't get started. They didn't get the second-level block. You know, and you have to add, you know, Taki Taki to it. But they have been mixing in blitzes. You saw, like, two pressures from JOK. One led to an intentional grounding call. One led to a sack. Like, you know, timely blitzes in addition to the pressure that that front could give you. Because they, and here's what Rodney left out of the equation, because he was trying to be generic with you guys a little bit, was they said a lot of teams are afraid to press and go press man coverage against San Francisco because of all the motion, Kyle Shanahan and his man meters. They said, screw it. We're putting Emerson on, on Ayuk, and we're going to put Denzel Ward over here on Debo, and we're going to man you up. And they manned them up, you know, and so they're on the back end. They'll play sticky man coverage. All right, Baldy, I love how the Cleveland's they're the best defense
2: in the NFL. Miami Dolphins have the, the best offense be. in the NFL. I mean, you say you you've noticed something about why it's working so well.
3: Well, I just some that popcorn from James because it, <laughs> it's it, it, it truly pop. is. But like they, nobody is running more formations more motions, more misdirection. Like, the things that they're doing from a creative standpoint, Steve, we've never seen before. Now, Carolina has got good players on defense, not a great defense. But they, honestly, it's a game of three-card Monty. You don't know where the ball is sometimes. (laughs) And so, when you watch them, it's like, okay, you watch like this this play right here. I-formation right now, you're going to get this motion coming across. And it looks like it's just, Like, literally, you know, an outside zone play. And then you go back, and let's watch what they did. Because here comes the tight end, Durham Smythe. He's coming in motion, right? Or, I mean, Alec Ingold, in motion dive formation. Now, here comes Durham Smythe, the tight end. All right, he comes to the other side. Okay, now, let's see what that does. Watch Austin Jackson, number 73. He's going to go up and pick off the inside linebacker here. All right? Now, he's got a hat on a hat. Now, let's back it up. Now, watch what Durham Smythe does to the defensive end. All he's doing is setting him up and slowing him down for the fullback, Ingold. Then Smythe is going to go up to the other linebacker, and he's going to pick him off. And just like that with timing, you, everybody's got a hat on a hat. The wide receiver's got a block on the outside. You see Ingold and Smythe. You see Robbie Chosen over there. He's making a block. And now Mostert has got this alley to run through. That's one play. But it's so well-crafted. It's so well-timed. They get everybody blocked, James. They don't move the line of scrimmage at all. All they're doing is just stretching you and then picking you off. And so nobody is, like, drilling anybody into the dirt. Nobody's, like, double-teaming anybody mm-hmm. and combo blocking. But the way that they do it, it's a different way. And it's very frustrating to a defense. Paulie, before we move
1: on, I, I kind of want to have a follow-up on this. We talked Tyree Tyreek Hill at the top of the sh- this show and how maybe him leaving Kansas City, this was the one offensive mind that maybe fit him best when he left Andy Reid in terms of coming to Mike McDaniel. Is this something you see as maybe a perfect marriage because such a unique player that maybe we've never really seen before in Tyreek Hill and such a unique play caller and play designer?
3: No question. I think so, James. Like, they have a formation now with Tyreek that nobody runs in this league. Nobody's ever run. Like, he's Mm -hmm. literally crouched down in hiding at the end of the line of scrimmage, off the ball, and he's looking at Tua. He's looking at, you know, when the ball's going to get snapped. He's looking at when he's supposed to, because he can't see Tua without looking at him. But when he's supposed to go in motion off it, and he's running these routes right, and I've asked him about it, where he comes in motion and he just runs to the other side of the field, and he goes up the sideline, and sometimes he runs by you like he did against Carolina last week, and sometimes he runs a dig route, and sometimes he just stops. But it's not really a route. He's just using his speed, and he's just kind of reading the defense (laughs) while he's running, and then he just finds the opening. And Tua, instinctively, they must practice it all the time because you don't see errant throws or, oh, I thought he was going to be there and he did that. You don't see the miscommunication. And so it's just fascinating to watch how they're using him. And as good as he was in Kansas City and they won a Super Bowl, he's being used differently now. And sometimes he's the decoy, and he's just stretching and running the defense off to get something underneath, and he's okay with all that.
2: Hey, Bobby, on that play breakdown where you showed Ingold and the tight end kind of just hooking the tight ends, that was me in practice and everything back at Missouri getting hooked <laughs> by everybody. I couldn't, I couldn't stop getting – hey, but, you know, a player and, – and I'm glad you brought this to our attention because a player who's been in this league for a while who was just showing out with Aaron Glenn in Detroit, their inside linebacker, Alex Anzalone, and you've done a great breakdown of him mm-hmm. as well. It's on – on your YouTube channel, on all your social media. But what about the way Anzalone is locking people up on the Lions' defense?
3: You know, like sometimes, Steve, you just put a game on, you're just watching it. And like Anzalone is making like every play. He's making almost every tackle. Or he's defending the pass. Like last week, like he was all over the field. He never comes off the field. Like they'll, they'll play Jack Campbell next to him and Barnes. They'll play different guys. But he doesn't come off the field. He plays every down. Sometimes he's a man coverage. Like he is, you know, I mean, you just, like this play right here, you're seeing the end of the play right here on the tackle. But you watch him in coverage right here. Like he's a man coverage. Okay. You get the back out of the backfield right here on a wheel route. He's running stride for stride down the field. And he's defending man, that hard. pass blindly. But he, it is hard, Steve, because you, you can't see it. You know, and then you watch this play right here. Here he is on the back coming out of the backfield. All that space. All right. A flat route. Okay. He's in perfect position to make the break on the route. And then you watch a play like this, the cutback here. He's got to defend an entire gorge, Steve. And you know as a linebacker, slow to you know. He doesn't overrun it. He sits there and waits for it to come back to him, and then he makes the tackle. And it's, it's play to play. You watch this right here, and here he is. Like this play, you know, coming out of the backfield again, like, you know, he defended three passes in this game where he's got the back or the tight end, and he's in perfect position right now. And you 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 see him in the flat right here. Like, he's been all phases of the game, sideline to sideline. He's the quarterback in the middle of this defense. He's been really, really good to watch. And, you know, I just felt like it was time to give him – we talked about Aiden Hutchinson when Brian Branch was really rolling in there. Jerry Jacobs got three interceptions. Kirby Joseph at free safety. But I just thought it was time to give Alec Anzalone a little bit of love because, like you said, he's been in this league. He played in New Orleans. yeah. But, you know – you know, Coach. Coach has got an eye for what he wants, and I feel like Angeloni is exactly what he wants in the middle right now.
2: And, and here's a here's a great popcorn worthy. Yeah, here here's some great butter to go on James's popcorn about Angeloni. His parents were over in Israel when the uh, recent yeah. attack started, and, and they got out. They were over there on a church mission uh, in Tel Aviv, and they were able to get uh-huh. out a few days later and attend that game in Tampa Bay. There he is. Right there with his family. Um, And he was on social media saying, I I love football, but all I can think about is my family, and hopefully they can get out and their church group can get out of uh, Israel safely. So salute to everything he's doing on the field, but to him and his family and to so many people um, who are thinking about those over this conflict that's going on in the Middle East. But, again, what a great photo. For those of you in the podcast, you can't see it. It's Alex Anzalone standing up in the stands with his family in Tampa Bay. And Baldy, yeah, I mean, just a great
3: unbelievable, shot, unbelievable,
2: great yeah. reminder. Yeah, and, and Baldy, real quick, we only got about thirty seconds here, but the Rams, what Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup have going on, just they've been reunited.
3: I mean, it's unbelievable, Steve. You give you give Matt Stafford three seconds, he'll find Cooper Cup anywhere on the field. The touchdown <laughs> last week, that like this touchdown here, the ball's out of his hands, but the ball's thrown to the pylon, and so when Cup turns around, that's exactly where he expects that ball. And when you get that kind of trust and timing between quarterback and cup or with Nakua because it's the same with him. Like you've got something special building. I know we're talking about the Rams finally now because people starting to recognize Byron Young, some of the guys on defense. But this connection looks like circa 2021 when he was a Triple Crown winner. It was it was something to watch on Sunday. Awesome. All right, Brian Baldinger, he Love will me. be at Who you got? You have the Colts and Browns this weekend, right? I'll see Rodney in, in Indianapolis this weekend. I'll see Shane Stike. Tell me, hello. I'll talk to Schwartze. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give him sure. your best, guys. That was a great I'll, interview today. All right. Really
2: appreciate yeah. you. All right. Back
3: soon. Here you to NFL repl-
2: see you. Appreciate it, Closing there. thoughts of me and JP if he can get the salt off his fingertips no. And that popcorn. Oh, you missed it. So Jay. close. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you
0: go into your shower feeling tired.
1: Welcome back to the we close out the NFL Report. Steve Weiss, James Palmer with you. Steve, we have a massive Sunday night matchup between two five, and 5-1 teams in the Dolphins and the Eagles. And we talk so much about Tyreek Hill, an off-season acquisition, a trading for a number one wide receiver. Changes Tua, changes the building. How about the Eagles and what they did with A.J. Brown on draft day and the addition that he's been to that group in Philadelphia.
2: Yeah, think about that. I mean, that move, you know, Tennessee losing him may have cost John Robinson his job as general manager down there because A.J. Brown mm. is doing it. Mm. four straight games with a 125-plus receiving yards. That's a staggering number. He is right there with Tyreek Hill when you look at the statistics. But what he does to open up this offense that they're still trying to figure out a little bit, as we talked earlier, is absolutely amazing. He really is. He's a big-body
1: receiver, Steve, that, that we were talking with Kurt Warner about big-body receivers lacking their playmaking ability down in the red zone. Hey, maybe the Eagles go to A.J. Brown down there in the red zone as opposed to throwing those teardrops that Jalen Hurts has been doing. Well, keep the teardrops, but uh, add in the red zone stuff as well because that's something Philly needs to improve on. For Steve White, I'm James Fowler for the NFL Report. See you guys Monday when we recap these games. Wherever you get your podcasts, check us out. Also on the NFL Fast Channel.